Thank you, Jeff. We will be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, so let you uh, find your way there. It'll be in the beginning of chapter 1. And while you're, uh, while you're getting there, <clears throat> I, uh, I wonder if you've noticed this in, in the world of celebrity uh, things like uh, acting or music or even sports, how there uh, tends to be a legacy many times. You'll see a top performer whose children also go into acting or music or uh, sports. And I was most struck by this uh, recently, this year. I was watching a father-son PGA tournament. And uh, I don't know when these started. I I didn't realize these uh, were going on, but... I really, really enjoyed it. And here's why. I saw old, older PGA players with their sons playing and uh, younger PGA players with their dads along with them playing. So they're, they're, they're teamed up and they're playing. And wouldn't you know, there's a particular father-son team that, uh, that you would all recognize on any Sunday. And it was Tiger with his son, Charlie. And uh, Charlie Woods is 14 years old. Uh, he's, not a, he's not a particularly big guy yet. He's, um, uh, he's, you know, maybe as tall as I am or something like that. And uh, he is very good uh, on the course. He's smoking his drives, 250, 300 yards, and, uh, and playing right there with his dad, of course. And so uh, it was fun to watch the two of them uh, work their way around uh, the greens and, uh, and encourage each other. And they were just really having a good time, particularly dads would understand this, dads. You know, uh, dad has a really good time when he's doing something he loves with his kids. It's, you know, it, it, uh, it means a lot. So what if, just hypothetically, uh, what if Tiger found out he didn't have much time left to live? Okay, so what if it was some prognosis or something like that? And, uh, and just think about what he would do with his remaining time, right? This precious time with a short window left. Uh, I would put it to you that he would play as much golf as he could with his boy, Charlie. Because for Tiger... Golf is life. It is how he has defined his entire life, right? So think about yourself now this morning. Like, what would you do if you didn't have a lot of time left? If you actually had a clock, 30 days, 60 days, something like that, how would you, how would you spend your time? Uh, with, who would you spend it with? What would you be doing? Well, Paul, the apostle, uh, when he wrote Second Timothy, knew his time was drawing to a close. And uh, he had one last letter to write. No, no time for mission trips. He's locked up in a, in a nasty prison, a real prison this time, not a cushy house arrest uh, type of situation. He is uh, in prison with a little bit of light and a lot of bad guys around him. And he chooses to write a letter to perhaps his best friend, certainly his, uh, his son in the faith. And Paul wants Timothy 
to continue to serve Christ after he's gone. And that is, um, and that is his goal of this entire letter. And, uh, and we'll see that uh, a little bit as we unfold this. So <clears throat> let's look at uh, chapter 1 of 2 Timothy and, uh, and the first seven verses. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So uh, we're going to look at uh, uh, the shape of a Christian life this morning. We're going to look at Paul's life and how that was shaped by his interaction with Jesus. We'll look at Timothy's, and then we'll look at this instruction that, uh, that Paul gives Timothy. Before we do that, uh, let's just uh, take a history lesson, though, okay? So, once upon a time, the Apostle Paul went on his first of four major mission trips. And on that first mission trip, he went uh, through a town called Lystra, where he met Lois and Eunice, and, uh, and very likely led them to Christ on that first trip, possible that he also led Timothy at that time, but certainly Lois and Eunice raised Timothy in the faith. On Paul's second visit, on his second trip, uh, he found that Timothy had grown as a believer, and so did his reputation. He was uh, growing in maturity. He uh, He was showing fruits of Christianity. And so uh, Paul would use him, he would employ him and, uh, and send him to churches, and eventually Timothy would be a pastor in Ephesus. While uh, Paul was using him, he wrote uh, his first letter to Timothy, which was, if you recall, we, it wasn't that long ago that we studied that, uh, house rules, right? Pastor Jeff brought us through that. And it was a lot about how to do church, how a church should act and, and function, and, uh, and this was valuable instruction, with corporate-type instruction, right? So <clears throat> Paul cared greatly for Timothy. He was a great wingman and sure had great affection for him because of the effect that uh, his relationship founded in Christ had on Timothy uh, and so on. So uh, the first letter, chocked full of, of sort of how a church should act in a corporate way. And, uh, and this second letter, now after 
all of Paul's mission trips, the second letter, Paul's at the end of his career. And this letter is much more personal. Uh, this letter is, uh, is to Timothy about his ministry, really. And so um, while uh, Paul had finished his last uh, mission trip, he was with Timothy in Ephesus, and likely uh, Timothy was there when Roman guards showed up and took Paul away to prison. Hence the tears that he refers to there as uh, they're separated. From chapter 4 of this letter, we get the sense that the trial has occurred and he is awaiting his execution from uh, the order from the emperor. So uh, the outcome is fatal. It's all but uh, done. And uh, as Paul writes this, we can see almost immediately that uh, this is a personal letter and, uh, and a meaningful letter to these uh, two men in, in this relationship. And Paul hands over the baton of responsibility in this letter to guard the gospel that Paul has faithfully carried for his career. So we need to explain that a little bit. So in the opening few verses, Paul uses their woven history to motivate Timothy and to continue to do the hard work of the ministry. And so as we look at the shape of Paul's life and then Timothy, we will use this to motivate us to work out our own salvation. The, uh, the theme, if, if we were to um, consider the point that Paul makes in this uh, argument, is that we have everything we need to continue living lives of worship to Christ. And so right there in verse 1, Paul gives us two things. He gives us the origin of his relationship with Christ and the purpose of it. So right there, it looks like a greeting, and it is, it's standard, but we'll get personal in just a, a, a few verses here. But in verse 1, Paul reminds us that he's an apostle of Christ. By saying this, he holds himself up to have a special relationship with Christ. He's an ambassador. He's uh, a, a spokesman for uh, Jesus. And you, you may recall from our Sunday school lessons in um, Mark 3, where Jesus, surrounded by many followers, called out 12 disciples. We had, he had that mountaintop moment. He, he called uh, disciples uh, to be 12 apostles, to be with him and learn from him, and then to be sent out by him with his authority. And uh, they were given an authority to instruct, to teach people what they had seen and heard about Jesus. And Paul holds himself up as number 13, right? He's, uh, he's an apostle uh, like those first 12. He puts himself in the rank of these uh, special men. Uh, and this is, these are men intended to uh, represent Christ and teach in his name. Paul, too, had the privilege of learning directly from Jesus. Acts 9 recall, recalls uh, Saul's conversion, his arresting encounter with the risen, glorified Jesus. But some of the exchange between the two of them 
is recorded in Acts 26. So make a note of that, and, um, uh, and it, it's great reading. Jesus says in Acts 26, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit or, or just uh, pick some of the uh, some choice phrasing from this language. I've appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul's meeting wasn't just a conversion. It was also a commissioning uh, appointment. And so Paul reminds Timothy that he was called or commanded by Christ into this ministry. He is here by the will of God himself. So the origin of Paul's Christian life comes from Jesus himself. Jesus confronted Paul, an enemy, and redirected his life. Well, why? Why did he do that? What, what was the purpose? What for? Well, the purpose, he says here, is according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul was commissioned by Jesus to proclaim the good news for sinners, that God himself has promised them life in Jesus Christ. In verse number 10 of this chapter, Paul says, Our Savior, Christ Jesus, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So in prison now, with death staring Paul in the face, kind of an a interesting juxtaposition of death there with its arm around Paul while he preaches life, right? So, so the grim reaper standing just outside his cell, and Paul tells us the gospel doesn't offer simply a practical, better way to live, but it promises life to those who are in Christ. He who has the Son has life. So in Jesus, you are promised eternal life right now and in the year after. So with authority, the authority of God himself, Paul's life purpose was to guard this gospel message. And what does that mean? It would take us reading the entire letter to sort that out. So as the letter unfolds, Paul will describe guarding the gospel by holding on to it, suffering for it, proclaiming it, and continuing in it. That's what it means. So Paul's Christian life was originated in a meeting with Jesus, and his purpose was to represent Jesus and use his gifting to build him a church. And that's what Paul did. And so Paul, knowing that his time is running out, writes to encourage Timothy to continue in this Christian ministry. Timothy, at this point, was not as mature as Paul. He wasn't quite the iron man of the gospel that we knew Paul to be. Uh, you can get a sense from history that Timothy didn't quite have the same chutzpah, right, that Paul uh, did. And we know from Acts that Paul was a warrior. 
Uh, Paul could take a beating, right? Uh, but Timothy wasn't exactly the same kind of gladiator cloth. And Paul uses this letter to hold his labor in ministry as a motivating example for Timothy. What is Paul's concern? He doesn't want Timothy to wimp out and uh, kind of shrink back into the uh, wallpaper of the church once Paul's gone. Paul, a warrior for the faith, left it all out on the battlefield for Christ's name, didn't he? Paul is all but dead, but you, you all are alive. So this is your time to guard the gospel. Well, be encouraged. Paul has suffered for the sake of his message, and as his career ends, not with a gold-toned Seiko watch, but with an execution, Paul looks back and says, Oh, Timothy, this was the life. God has shaped me to be like his precious son, and I want this for you. That's what Paul has to say. So Paul's life and labor belongs to Jesus. Paul loves Timothy and wants Timothy's life to mean something. So Paul um, called by the will of God, and now we look at Timothy shaped by the grace of God. And there's three ways that we see this in our text. First of all, very, very cool, God gave Timothy a personal mentor. Is there a better mentor than Paul? No wonder Charlie Woods plays such great golf, right? You get it? He's got his dad, the best golfer perhaps ever, right, as his wingman working around the golf course with him. Can you imagine uh, learning from golf? That's my dad. Uh, his name's Tiger, right? Well, how about a Bible study regularly with Paul? We might enjoy that. At least at first, we would be really pumped up about that. All right? See how Paul blesses Timothy in verse 2. He prays grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wants the full meal deal for Timothy. He wants the best life for Timothy. Uh, in the 90s, maybe you uh, remember, there was, a, there was a movie called Jerry Maguire, and it was about a mediocre sports agent who had one client, and that was a mediocre wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. And, uh, and it's all about negotiating this guy, Rod Tidwell. It's negotiating his contract. But Rod, this mediocre <clears throat> player, wants more than just a ton of money. Now, you may recall the tag from it was, show me the money, right? So money was a big thing. But what Rod wanted was the quan, if you recall. He wanted the money, but he wanted the love and adoration and uh, the adoring fans of his representative, uh, you know, Phoenix team. He wanted everyone to love him and, and be a part of the fabric of the city. He wanted all of it, right? You know that uh, Barry Sanders has been retired for like 24 years now, 
And still, he doesn't live that far from us. When we see him in the store, people are, you know, like, they, they, we love the guy still. We, we speak of him like a, uh, like a saint in, in Detroit, right? Well, <clears throat> Paul uh, isn't so worried about that, but he wants the best for Timothy. He wants the best life. He wants the quan, if you will. And so he prays God's mercy to one who is weak and cannot help himself. It was mercy that saved Saul of Tarsus. He, he wants God's kindness to the undeserving. And in peace, he wants God's recon, reconciliation and harmony. Paul wants the best for Timothy. And so in verse 3 here, Paul says he remembers Timothy constantly in his prayers night and day. The hardest working apostle praying constantly for Timothy and his well-being. He says he longs to see him in verse 4. Paul is in Timothy's corner interceding on his behalf and wanting the best for him. So Timothy, by God's grace, has a wonderful mentor in his friend Paul. Well, it's not just that. God gave Timothy a Christian home. We see that as well. He had a Christian mother and grandmother in his corner. His dad may not have been a Christian. His dad was a Greek man. He may have died when Timothy was a young man. You know, I don't know the full details of why uh, Timothy's dad isn't uh, fully present in this text. But we know that Lois and Eunice taught Timothy from Scripture. And because of this, Timothy is connected to Paul by ancestry. Paul refers to his ancestors in verse 3. But Paul's parents weren't known to be believers. Who are these ancestors that Paul uh, speaks of? Well, Paul ties his ancestry to men of faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. And Paul sees his Christianity and Timothy's Christianity as a fulfillment of their Jewish heritage. They are relatives by the blood of Jesus, their Savior. And so Jesus, um, I'm sorry, uh, Timothy has a mentor in Paul. He has a Christian family to support him. And thirdly, and most directly, he has God himself. Timothy's life is shaped by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, <clears throat> Paul uh, writes the Corinthians to say that God himself chooses and apportions his people with just the right gifting to accomplish his will and his good pleasure. So Timothy has uh, a mentor, a parent, and the Holy Spirit working in him. And in the church, you do as well. Maybe you don't have uh, the mentor of Paul the Apostle, or uh, maybe you come from a, a family that, uh, that was unbelievers, frankly, and this here is your family. This here is your uh, deep bench of mentors to, uh, to pour in your life 
as you listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit. So we have all the support that we need to continue living lives of worship to Christ. But this is where we come to a little bit of friction. There's a little bit of um, work to do in our text this morning, and that is in verse 5. We find that Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Paul says, I believe in you. This is a sincere faith. But then he says, you still have a little work to do. Look at that at verse 6. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The gift of God. He, he, uh, he needs to fan something into a flame. And the word gift there, interesting, is the same as the word charisma. So it's that, uh, that sort of uh, chutzpah that I referred to. And the laying on of my hands is, uh, is a, a reference. Paul later says that his gifts are preaching and teaching. This, uh, this is Timothy being commissioned as a, as a pastor. So Paul says, uh, you have been commissioned as a preacher of the words of the word, and you need to fan this into a flame. And, uh, and so there's a bit of work to do here. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So, uh, so we know his gifts. We remember from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, that we all have different gifting, and, uh, and Timothy's gifting is preaching and teaching. But there's a little tension here. And I know, um, uh, I know you're, uh, you, you might be thinking, okay, so uh, Paul says, I know you're a believer, but you've got some work to do. And that might, think, might cause you that, wait a minute, um, we're saved by faith, not by works, all right? So uh, to slow your roll here. Uh, but are you saved from your sin to go on living for yourself? Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Do you see that there's a little bit of an already not yet kind of tension there? There's a little bit of a warning in here for Timothy. Because Paul wants Timothy to continue on after Paul is gone. And at this point in time, it seems that Timothy, um, his fire isn't burning quite as brightly as it should. What happens if Timothy does nothing? The fire burns out, right? How is your uh, fire burning this morning? Has it burnt out? Has another uh, situation maybe thrown some water on your fire? Maybe not using your gifts, you're kind of laying back, sitting on the sidelines. The point of this text is that Paul wants Timothy to continue using his gifting to serve Christ after he's dead and gone. Well, look, let's just look forward a little bit in our, uh, in our Bible. Just turn, turn to chapter 2, 
and verse 11, okay? And uh, there is a song that Paul uh, quotes here in verse 11, and it's a little bit like our song. I, when I first came to this church, it seemed like our theme song was, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. I think we sang it almost every, every week. Um, and, uh, and this song is a lot like that. He says, uh, this is trustworthy. Paul says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, with, if we, endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So we've got this, uh, this trustworthy saying that looks a little bit complicated. Timothy, he says, be strong and endure. But if Christ is your hope, he will cause you to endure. Timothy may be young, frail, and weak. And while Paul has finished his ministry, Timothy is at the beginning of his ministry. Will he finish? That's the tension. He needs not to be ashamed of his gifting. He needs not to be afraid to use it. He needs to use it and to be tested and finish well. And that's what Paul wants for him. So let's go back now to verse 7 in our text. Paul says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That is to say, keep using your gifts to God's glory because the Holy Spirit has given you all of the strength, all of the tools, the discipline, the power, the love to motivate you to continue on in your ministry. So as we, we sort of like move into the close, there's a legacy that Paul wants to leave, and it's not about Paul, as you can see. He wants us, the church, to go on living a life of service to Christ to fulfill our responsibility to the gospel message. Look at Paul's example. Living under arrest, how many times was he beaten? Being betrayed, being slandered. In this text, he'll talk about uh, why he's in prison. He's, it's because of betrayal from other Christians. Being shipwrecked. He, left, he lived a life that was not a comfortable life. And wants us and Timothy to respond by saying, What is my share that I can suffer for the sake of God's glorious message of a Redeemer who transforms God's enemies into friends? First Peter, so the first of the apostles, if you will, and in, uh, in chapter 4 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. I will, uh, I will be the first to admit that that's generally not my thinking. What's my portion of suffering 
for this rich ancestry of suffering that we have as servants to Christ. If I'm honest, I prefer to be comfortable and, uh, you know, have a nice house and a 401k and in uh, a job I like over being ostracized and imprisoned and having no friends and being betrayed. That's honestly where I'm at most of the time. Are you on the sidelines? Well, if you identify with Timothy in this text, you could say, I'm weak, Bill. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm like Moses. I'm not really a great speaker. Wouldn't, you know, can't, this isn't really my thing to be out there guarding the gospel or anything else. Maybe uh, locusts and honey, not really my diet. If I'm, if I'm uh, thinking about this, I'm more meat and potatoes kind of a person. I don't like the spotlight, maybe. So you can let the fire burn out. You can let your gifts sort of uh, go away and dwindle in your life if you don't use them. But instead, we should see ourselves as weak, as insufficient in our own merits. Yes. But to see the work that Jesus did to redeem you and his message which is folly to some and a stumbling block for others as something so valuable that we would suffer for it. And the gifting of the Holy Spirit as more than powerful enough to enable us to be more and more like Jesus to a world that doesn't like people like Jesus. Throughout the week, perhaps we act like we're not changed by the gospel. We, um, <clears throat> we, uh, we, look, we, we look at stuff going on in the world today. We see stuff like um, uh, that we, we think is foolish. So here's an example. Time Magazine has a woman of the year, and woman of the year has an Adam's apple, right? Or, uh, you know, we have uh, record-winning uh, women's athletes who you know, aren't uh, women, right? And we laugh at them or, or look down our noses at them because they're so, you know, misled. And yet, we, uh, we do whatever we want throughout the week, and then we self-identify as believers on Sunday and sing praises, you know. So let's not be uh, hypocritical in that. So, why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? After all of this, he looks back and, uh, and says um, he has a clear conscience. You know, he's, not, he's, he's not without sin, but he is right with his maker. He knows, um, I'm sure, what he told Romans, that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. He's resting on that uh, power as he uh, retires from Christian service. So fan into flame, fall in love again with what Jesus has done for you for a purpose, for you to live for him. 
We are powered by the Holy Spirit, not to sink into the wallpaper of our church, but to work for the kingdom. Let's not be Christians in name only. If you're tired or discouraged or afraid, perhaps, consider the rich deposits of grace in our lives. We find them right here in, uh, in this church. In Christ, we are connected to a history of faithful believers, brothers and sisters in the church, the preaching and teaching of faithful stewards, and the direction of the Holy Spirit. But most importantly, we have the surpassing value of friendship with Christ. So get off the sidelines. As, uh, as we um, close here, just take a minute to uh, uh, just reflect on your, uh, your position. And are you on the sidelines? How are you uh, as a custodian of the gifts that uh, you've been given? How are you doing? Just uh, close your eyes and think about that for a moment as we uh, finish. Thank you.